Good morning. Welcome to Southside. Please stand for our call to worship. Be still. Be still and know. Be still and know that God is.
You may be seated, and uh, as you are, let me welcome you all to worship here at Southside today. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord, to join our hearts, minds, and voices as we spend time in worship today, worshiping the one true and living God. Today, as we gather, there are people from all over that are here, people that come and gather here in this place, dedicated for worship, a place that draws people to it, and certainly not because of the space, but because of who it represents and for whom it is dedicated to. Southside Baptist Church in the heart of Five Point South, built an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond. And that does mean, as we say every week, to accept all who come into this building with arms open wide, to encourage folks along the way and to help people, as we all help each other, to grow in our understanding of who we are before, before God. We would like to know of all those that are attending today, and if you, whether you're a member or guest alike, there's a blue registration tablet at the end of each pew, and let me encourage you, after you write your name in there, to tear that off and put it in the offering plate. We don't always have enough uh, volunteers to get back around to get all of those uh, picked up, so if you put it in the offering plate, we have, a, have that uh, collected, and we'll be able to know that you've been with us on this Sunday. It is good to be here in the house of the Lord, and we want to certainly to pass the peace of Christ and welcome folks in the name of Christ. So if you would, please do that now. As you're continuing to pass the peace of Christ, let me take a moment to also welcome those who may be visiting with us uh, through the webcast that um, goes out each week. Uh, many people have commented that over on the weeks that they're not able to attend, they can at least um, watch and see what's going on and be able to be a part, at least to a limited degree. So that, for that, we're thankful, and we do welcome all of those who may be worshiping with us today um, via the webcast. As we continue our time of worship, would you bow with me as we ask the Lord's blessings upon this service today? Oh Lord, into your presence we come. We come with great anticipation. We come also with hearts that are heavy. Some come not knowing what to expect. May we all come expecting to experience your presence. May we do so through our words of adoration and praise, through presenting ourselves to you, through being still and listening. May you touch our hearts today in this time of worship.
Our first reading from Scripture is from the Hebrew Bible, Psalm number 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the most holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Our second reading, our gospel reading, is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right side and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. 
You may be seated. Jack, Martin, oh, come, come down here. It's good to see you all, but I need you to turn around this way for just a minute, okay? Then we'll get to this other. All right, so uh, you had a good day, the good morning in Sunday school, I, I trust, right? Did you? What'd you learn today? Jesus loves you. Yeah. That's so. always good. Always say thank you. What? Same thing? No, always say thank you. Always say thank you. That is good. Anybody else? Any other things? Well, I may be going out on a limb here when I, uh, because Dr. Champa is going to uh, preach on this text about Jesus. And I think one of the working titles was how we see Jesus is determines how we see everything else, maybe something like that. And today, I want us to think about that for a moment because we've been working on a, a mission project, but it's also a, engaging in community activities too. And you've been participating, haven't you? One of the things that we do is, is through our food bank, we give out food, but another thing we do is to try to have something to give to everyone, even if they don't have a home. Now, you've all traveled, right? You've traveled a lot of, in your cars, right? What's your favorite thing about traveling if you're driving a long way? Okay. What's your favorite thing? Do you sing? Do you talk? Oh, you got your your game, your game, your electronic game that you're playing with. Do you ever talk to your parents as you travel? Sometimes? Talk about things along the way? Well, you know, one of the things that my children would always say is, well, we want to stop and get something to eat. <laughs> you don't ever say that, do you? Oh, yeah. And sometimes we would pack snacks along the way. If it was a long, long trip, we'd pack some snacks, too, because we always need something in the day to keep us going. Now, think about if you didn't have a place to go at home. Now, you can go anytime you want, probably, if it's okay with your parents, and get something to snack on pretty much all the time, right? Kind of? Kind of? Kind of always? No, kind of. Kind of. Well, you know, everyone doesn't have that luxury. Some people are not in a place where they can go and get things that easily, and during the day, they might need something to keep them going. So what we've done is we have... Jack, hold this right here for us. Or, or Martin, hold that side. And Jack, y'all hold that. Let's see if we can put a few things in there that would help someone during a day so that if we made this into a little snack pack, that would help someone throughout the day to make it through the day. And I'll give y'all one, too, over here. Doing, if y'all hold that one open. So, all right, here, what about that? Would you, that's something you'd like to have? Just Let's put one of each thing. And so you've got some, you've got some fruit, uh, a fruit cup that you can eat, some water, some crackers, raisins, some canned meat, and some juice. Now, there's also some other things in here if you wanted to put those in there, because all of our members have responded well, and we've got a lot of things to, to give folks and put in these packages. Now, why is that important as far as the way we understand what Jesus told us to do? Why is it important to do this? Why do you think it's important to do it? Sometimes people don't have as much as we do. Sometimes people don't have as much as we do. Sometimes they don't have any at all. And so, so they, we put these snacks in there. And this, you know, it's not a lot. And in fact, 
a lot of us wouldn't miss that if we brought, we had, might have some things like that at home already, and if we brought them and put them in a box like this and gave them uh, to the food bank to pack up, we wouldn't even miss them. But to somebody else, it might be very important. And it's a way that what you wrote on, these bo on this box last week, what, did all, what all did you say did you write on there? Be kind, Jesus said, do unto me as you would have others do unto you, right? Do unto others as you would have, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then there's some other comments that you made on here, be kind and things like that. So you all decorated this up. But for a few more weeks, we're going to be collecting these. And on Wednesday night when, and next Sunday, we're going to pack some more of these so that we'll have them available when our food bank uh, distributes the food this coming these, uh, on Tuesdays, they'll be able to give these out. And remember, when we bring things like this, we may not be involved in directly giving it to someone, but if we provide it for them, if we make it available, then we too have helped. Now, what they do is they tie these, these up and they have them ready to go out. So they tie this like this and they have it ready so that when on Tuesdays, when the, if someone comes and doesn't have a home to carry food that they'll have to cook, they can give them these. So we thank all those volunteers that go every week to hand those things out. And also all of you who contributed by bringing different items and for all of you who helped pack these and get them ready. So we're all as part of a team to do that which Jesus would have us do, I think. Don't you? Let's offer prayer. Lord, thank you for the many ways that you reveal yourself to us and for the opportunities we have to be engaged in your ministry and your work, your kingdom's work here. Bless these children in Christ's name. And welcome to all of you who have come to, to worship in church. Special welcome to Marcel and Roy Champa, who are with us, who moved to, to Birmingham uh, from New England uh, in August of last year. Uh, Roy is the new chair of the Department of Religion, so he's technically my immediate boss. So all these nice things I told you to say to him today, this is, don't forget, this is your opportunity. We were delighted that they're both here to, to share in our worship and Roy to bring God's word to us this morning. There's a little bi biography of, of, the, of him. The only thing that needs to be updated is that they no longer have one gran grandson, but they have gr two grandsons. And that's perhaps one of the most important aspects to know about him and his wife, Marcel. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Gracious God, we come to pray for a needy world for broken hopes and broken people, for ourselves, our world, and our nation, that we may live always to honor you. We pray for a peace amidst the unrest in Venezuela, for a just and peaceful outcome in a country torn apart by division and injustice. We pray for all who are suffering the results of the breaking of the dam in Brazil, for lives that have been lost and those who are seeking to bring help and to bring hope in the midst of despair and of bereavement. We are grateful for a temporary solution to the government shutdown in our own country, 
but pray for a longer lasting resolution in the weeks that lie ahead. We pray for all whom we know and don't know who are sick at this time, that they may know your healing hand upon them. For bereaved, that they may know your comforting presence. For those anticipating treatment and surgery, that they may know comfort in the midst of their anxiety. We pray for those in addiction, they may find victory. For those hurting in painful, struggling relationships, that they may know love that overcomes all things. Gracious God, for all whom we know, who are dear to our hearts, we bring their needs before you at this time. Hear all our prayers offered in the strong name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray and to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Good morning. It is uh, my privilege to be here this morning. I'm very grateful for the invitation from my friend and colleague, your pastor, Dr. Roxborough. Um, I, I just realized as I, I got here, there are a number of switches up here. I'm tempted to start pressing a few of them. Um, if only there were one that would turn my voice into a Scottish brogue, wouldn't that be nice? And another one that would make me half as eloquent as your own pastor. That would be uh, a nice thing as well. But uh, I'm very grateful 
uh, for the privilege to be here in the pulpit of Southside Baptist Church. Um, tremendous respect for my colleague and new friend, your pastor. Of course, uh, he jokes about me being uh, his boss, um, but he knows very well uh, I would be completely lost if it weren't for him uh, as a former chair of the Department of Religion, uh, the tremendous wisdom he brings and the experience that um, he's used to try and keep me out of <coughs> some mistakes I, I could make along the way. And of course, I'm responsible for my own mistakes. But thank you for having me. In one sense, today's message is about a case of mistaken identity. I'm reminded of an experience of a colleague that your pastor and I have at Sanford University. She has always looked very young for her age. And you may have heard this story before. When she was completing her PhD, she used to ride her bicycle to the university every day, and she would pass by a, mid a middle school along the way. Twice, she was stopped by police officers who assumed that she was supposed to be in the middle school and that she was guilty of truancy. Even today, as she walks around the university and attends various events, students regularly assume that she's one of them. Once they know who she really is, they act differently than when they think that she's just another student. How people see her determines how they treat her and how they act around her. That sense is kind of like the story of the prince and the pauper. The prince, wanting to experience the life of a commoner, exchanges clothes and identifies with a pauper. And once in the pauper's clothes, no one recognizes him for who he really is or treats him with the respect a prince normally expects. How people treat him, or how people see him, determines how they treat him and act in his presence. In the passage from the Gospel of Luke that we read this morning and that we'll look at in this message, Luke reminds us of what happened in Jerusalem when people failed to recognize Jesus for who he really was and is. Luke wants us to recognize that while for most people how they see everything else determines how they see Jesus, for the rest of us, how we see Jesus should determine how we see everything and everyone else. So we'll be looking at a few different encounters that take place around the foot of the cross and between those being crucified. Luke describes for us how the Jewish leaders responded to Jesus, then how the Roman soldiers responded, and then how two other condemned men who were also being crucified responded to Jesus Christ on the cross. As we'll see, and as you may recall, one of those encounters was remarkably different from the others. Everyone else saw Jesus precisely the way the Romans wanted them to see Jesus. Many people think that the Romans designed execution by crucifixion to be the most painful way to torture a person to death. And torture it was. But pain wasn't necessarily the primary point. Or the torture could have been carried out in a hidden dungeon somewhere. No, crucifixions were carried out in places that got a lot of foot traffic, with a person to be executed stripped naked and intended to be humiliated before the eyes of all the world, as many people as possible at least. The point was for those passing by to look at the one being crucified 
and to decide that those being crucified were not only despicable criminals, but also the most shameful people on the face of the earth. Parents would walk by and tell their children as they walked by that those people are the worst, people who are worse than nobodies. And people walking by would be encouraged to ridicule those being crucified as fools and idiots. My point is that the act of crucifixion was designed to be a spectacle that would result in the dehumanizing humiliation and torture of the condemned to reinforce the view that those in power deserve to be in power and those who lacked power were unworthy of any respect and lacked any work, worth or value. Only that one person in the story, by a miracle of God-given insight, was able to see Jesus for who he really was, despite the fact that the whole scene had been orchestrated to present Jesus as the greatest fool in a long history of fools. And the way it went down, most people standing there did think Christ was the most ridiculous figure on the face of the earth at that moment. If you haven't done so, and if you'd like to follow along, you can, again, find this passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. When the passage begins, Jesus has already been judged and condemned before unanimous opposition, and he's arriving at Golgotha, the place of execution. The first part of the passage presents a wider view of conversations around the foot of the cross. In Luke 23, verse 32 says, two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. And we don't know the names of these criminals or exactly what they had done, but petty thieves were not crucified. The most common crime leading to crucifixion was that of sedition, rebellion against Rome. One of the two criminals later admits that both of them were guilty of the crimes for which they had been sentenced. And Luke tells us that when they came to the place called Golgotha, or the skull, they were crucified. They crucified Christ along with the criminals, one on one side and one on the other. This is Isaiah 53:12 that says of the suffering servant that he was, quote, numbered with the transgressors. And furthermore, that he made intercession for the transgressors. And sure enough, the very next verse in Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. This prayer of Jesus and the allusion to Isaiah 53, 12 give us a revolutionary interpretation of what's going on. It's the interpretation that Christians now presuppose when we, when we read the passage. In the context of a public execution, it's normally the condemned person who's expected to seek to find forgiveness and peace with God before dying. But here the, the roles are completely reversed. And it's the condemned man who's in a position to ask that God would extend his mercy to those who think themselves to be in the right. In the, in the light of Isaiah 53, 12, we understand that in this case, the transgressors are those who are standing around the cross, not the one who's hanging upon it. He is the righteous, suffering servant of Isaiah 53. 
Luke goes on and we read about the people who stood by watching. The leaders scoffed at him saying he saved himself, let him save, uh, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocking him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The inscription mocks him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So Luke is here giving a report of a series of reactions to the crucifixion of Christ. The people watch, the religious leaders sneer at him, the soldiers mock him, a condemned criminal will insult him. We notice that after the general reference to the people, the passage follows an order of descending social status, focusing first on the reaction of the religious leaders, then on that of the soldiers, and then coming down to the level of the condemned criminal. And the irony here is amazing and heartbreaking at the very same time. The religious leaders use two different titles when talking to Jesus. The first, Christ, refers to the Messianic King, while the second, the Chosen One of God, is a title that refers to the Servant of God, mentioned by Isaiah. It's the combination of these two titles, Christ, the coming King, and the anointed, the, the, the chosen one, the suffering servant, is bringing those two titles together that's the secret to understanding who Jesus Christ is and what's going on. But they don't understand. They don't see. They don't get it that Jesus is, isn't doing anything for himself, but that everything he does, he does in order that others might be saved. Another Old Testament passage that is alluded to in Luke's description here is Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, which say, quote, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And as we know from the story in Luke's gospel, God will rescue him. Not from the cross, but from death itself. After reporting what the religious leaders did, as I said, Luke turns to the soldiers who are at the cross and they mock Jesus as well. They follow the example of the religious leaders. They will offer him wine in jest as though they were offering wine to a king in mockery. And of course the notice of Jesus' accusation is written in mockery as well. And again, the irony is that they've got it just right. That mocking accusation is true. He is the king of the Jews. They just don't know it. They can't see it. He is the long-awaited king of the Jews, the Messiah, and the king of kings as well. It's all right there before their eyes, and they just can't see it. And so after looking at these broader conversations in the wider context, Luke zooms in to the conversations between the three of them who are being crucified. And of course, there as well, we see that even one of those being crucified beside him finds himself mocking Jesus. Although he's been condemned by the authorities and is being crucified by them, he's still going to follow their example and mock Jesus and act as though he were somehow superior. Anyone who didn't know the whole story 
but simply observed this scene at the cross and heard the commentary of the first criminal would probably have to conclude that the person being crucified in the middle, the one being ridiculed by even the other condemned criminal, must be the most despicable and disgusting person in the world. But of course, they would be dead wrong. Notice that everyone in this context is convinced that what Jesus wishes he could do was to save himself. That he should be able to save himself. He doesn't seem to be able to do that. Everyone sneers at him because he claimed to be the Messiah, yet appears to be unable to save himself. But if we've been paying any attention to Jesus and his concerns, we'll notice that throughout this ordeal, he has never once shown any indication that he's concerned in the least about himself. He had showed, shown concern for the daughters of Jerusalem. He asked forgiveness for those who were persecuting and killing him. His every move reflects the fact that what he does, he does not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of and out of compassion for others, those whose needs are a higher priority for him. They understand nothing of what makes Jesus tick and why he's enduring all that he is. And it's at this point that the story pivots. At this point, we finally hear a perspective that is different from everyone else's. In verse 40, we read that the other criminal rebuked the first one, saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus and says those words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you believe it? Other, it's amazing. Other than Jesus, this is the only decent theologian in the neighborhood. All these religious leaders around the cross, and the only decent theologian is a crucified criminal. This despised criminal recognizes that Jesus is different and that despite being condemned to death, Jesus is righteous and innocent. And he even understands that Jesus will enter into his kingdom by way of his death. Here on the lips of this despised and marginalized criminal, we find the greatest insight into what's actually going on. He understands that death won't prevent Christ from his destiny to reign as king of kings, but rather it's the way that Christ must take to arrive there. And so Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's all it took. A mere recognition of his own guilt and of Jesus' innocence and identity as the messianic king and son of God of course, when somebody recognizes Jesus for who he really is, they understand that they can't go on living life the way they did before. This criminal, of course, didn't have much more life to live. And coming to faith in Christ didn't make his problems go away. He was not miraculously taken down from the cross. He wasn't healed and given another opportunity to live his life. Actually, he went on to live or to experience and die a horrible death, like Jesus did, but with the hope and peace that would come from knowing he would soon be with his Savior in paradise. 
Throughout this gospel, Luke emphasizes that through Jesus, people have immediate access to salvation. And Jesus makes that very same point here to this dying believer. So what is it that the Jewish leaders, the soldiers, and the other condemned men all have in common? They have a way of understanding the world that determines how they understand what is happening to Jesus on the cross. In their view, people who are judged or who suffer in this world deserve what they get. And in their way of seeing the world, all people do what they have to do to save or protect themselves, not out of self-sacrificial love for others. If Jesus was on the cross, he deserved it. And if he really could have come down, he would have, because they believed that all people could be counted on to act out of selfish self-interest. And the Messiah, the Son of God, would come in power and would never allow himself to be treated in this way, or so they think. The way they see everything and everyone else determines how they see Jesus. But if we see Jesus the way that other crucified man does, it can change the way we see everything else. We see that might does not make right, that Jesus cares even about a condemned criminal and is willing to pray even for those crucifying him. We know that our Lord put us and others and our well-being ahead of himself and his own comfort. And how we see Jesus determines how we see everyone and everything else. While many people in the first century would have concluded that the crucifixion of Jesus proved that he could not have been the Messiah, a closer look at the event leads us to recognize that in fact, Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king who enters into his reign by way of the righteous sufferer. It's this man crucified between two common criminals who's able to provide forgiveness for our sins. It's an amazing thing, really, that we can enter into a scene that was designed, this whole scene was designed to make Jesus look like worthless trash. That's what the Romans expected us to decide about a crucified man. And in that same situation, and by the grace of God, we recognize instead that he's the most noble and dignified person to ever have walked on the face of the earth. And rather than pointing to him and telling our children how ridiculous it is and that they should shun him, we point to Jesus on the cross and we tell our children that we hope that they will trust and they will follow him with all of their hearts exactly the opposite of what the Romans had hoped for. And once we see Jesus for who he really is, we see other people differently too. We see them the way that Jesus does, as people who are loved by God, who should be treated with dignity and respect, even if they refuse to do the same for us. We see, that, see them as people who need grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, like those who crucified our Lord. We see them as people who are loved by our amazing Savior. Because how we see Jesus determines how we see everyone and everything else. And that changes everything. Would you stand with me? For the hymn number 607, I will sing the wondrous story.
please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for those gathered here for worship. We ask that you bless our offerings, both of our resources and of our time and efforts to further your kingdom in this place and beyond. Amen. Almighty and loving God, we bring these tithes and offerings into your house. We present them to you 
asking you, Lord, that you would bless them and multiply them, and that it would always be used to bless other people in your name. Amen. Let's be seated for just a moment, please. I want to welcome all those who are guests today. There are uh, many who are here and visiting with us today, and want to let you know that right after worship and the narthex there, there's a uh, uh, little reception there, eliminating cookies. We'd love for you to come and join us for that and get to know you a little bit. But I uh, especially hope that you have been well-received and that you will feel welcome coming and being with us again, if your schedule so permits. Uh, Dr. Champa, thank you for being here and bringing and breaking uh, the bread of life for us today. Thank you, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing and hearing you again in the future, too. This week, the Wednesday activities are um, sort of iffy. We, with the weather like it is, we just don't know. We plan to do things as always as scheduled unless something happens, and we'll put out some kind of notification if the weather is uh, such that we would not be able to uh, have those or it might be um, a health hazard for you to try to make it uh, down here from over the mountain if you live in those areas. So um, just watch, keep an eye, eyes open for that, and we will trust that we'll have good judgment and the Lord will um, give us clear directions as to what to do. As we do prepare to go out, uh, and Dr. Roxford will come and have the benediction, we, we're challenged today in a, in a way, I think, that we all have to leave. We oftentimes say that every time that we get to the end of a service and we go out, that we make a decision that is either we're going to practice what we've just heard or wrestle with that, and that is today how we see Jesus and how we see everyone else, and hopefully we will allow the Spirit of Christ to penetrate our hearts and souls and help us understand and embrace that which is truly following Jesus. And as we go, know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. Go.